Welcome to the Crystal Clear Podcast with Weekly Standard founder and editor-at-large, Bill Crystal. I'm Eric Felton. Hi, Bill. Hi, Eric. How are you? Fine, thank you. A little groggy after staying up late to watch the Nationals uh, get whooped by the Cubs last night. Yeah, their fourth time. I think they failed to make it out of the division series, and uh, the Cubs are a tough opponent. Other times the Nationals have actually been favored, but then the Indians lost the night before. Big favorites, our colleague Jim Swift, our other colleague Rachel Larimore, barely, you know, haven't recovered yet. So my a, son, rough, a, rough, a rough couple of days here for the Weekly Standard baseball fans. Yeah, although my son, his cousins are New Yorkers, and he is, uh, by extension, a, a Yankees fan, so he's a very happy camper. That's good. It'll be a good series. I think there'll be two good baseball series for those of us who are baseball fans. I noticed something. I was just thinking about it for some reason this morning. The four teams that are now left uh, are from the four largest cities in the country. Oh. I'm not sure what that means, really, but um, it's I probably have, good. It's good for the TV networks. They'll get, you know, they have more more hometown, uh, larger hometown rooting bases, I suppose. Yeah. I'm starting to think, though, that the Nationals really are the perfect Washington team, <laughs> which is they they look really strong. They get they get to the big game and then they come up just short. It's as if they are the baseball equivalent of the Senate trying to repeal and replace Obamacare. Yeah, that's good. They should rename the baseball park the Swamp. <laughs> <laughs> so the big news in Washington today: uh, Donald Trump choosing not to recertify the Iran deal. Walk us through what the president had to say today. Uh, I mean, the actual substance is a little complicated. The the legislation that under which uh, President Obama, in a way, got away with not submitting the Iran deal as a treaty, but simply got was able to get it to say it's an executive agreement, and that that was negotiated with Corker and Cardin, the relevant senators. And anyway, that legislation provides for every ninety days the president to certify that Iran's complying with the deal, also that the deal is in the national uh, security interest of the United States. Uh, President Trump said a lot of things in his speech, but the core was that he doesn't believe the deal is in our interest. Uh, and he's asking Congress to take a look at how to improve the deal, to fix it, really, as well as to deal with things that are outside the deal, uh, ballistic missiles in particular, which the uh, John Kerry and Barack Obama, uh, as a way of getting Iran to agree, just excluded more or less from the, from the negotiations or from the final product. I, I think this is a case where this was a fair amount of bluster by the president um, on Iran, but at the end of the day, he's taken a, a, a sober course to toughen our Iran policy, really reverse our Iran policy. And the Iran deal was part of a broader policy of President Obama of accommodating the clerical regime, accommodating Iran's ambitions in the region. President Trump hasn't turned that around as much as I would like. Uh, He's on Syria, for example. He's done rather little, uh, one big bombing raid, basically. But uh, he's sort of accepting uh, Iran's client, Assad, as a uh, victorious, almost, in that civil war. Uh, So there's plenty more to be done. But the speech does present a more of a, a strategic offensive against Iran, or at least attempt to counter Iran, which I think is good, of which uh, fixing and improving, and if need be, walking away from the nuclear deal is part. Uh, it's a pre- it was a pretty sophisticated argument, actually. Parts of the speech were not so much, but, but large parts of it were. Um, it requires in execution uh, a pretty sophisticated strategy, uh, both in terms of the substance, in terms of working with the Europeans, whom we need to have on board if sanctions are going to be reimposed effectively, getting some democratic support. Whether the Trump administration can do that part of it, it would be hard for any administration. I mean, Obama, one reason some of us were so against the deal in 2015 is that we thought 
I think correctly, that once that deal went through, we lost a lot of our leverage. They got the money. The sanctions came off. They promised not to move ahead on certain parts of the nuclear programs for some number of years. Uh, well, you can't get the money back. You know, the sanctions regime is hard to put back. Um, so that it's palette very, of money is gone. The palette of money is gone. It's very hard to fix this, these kinds of things two years later. So I, I, I don't think it's not fair to criticize Trump and say, well, he didn't magically get us back to where we were or deal with the Iranian problem. Did he make us a good step at reversing a failed policy? I think so. Uh, do they have the sort of subtlety and also stick and patience to now lead this policy in a, in a sensible way, bring people on board for months and years? That's going to be a test of the Trump administration. It's not only Europeans, it's not only Democrats on the Hill, it's Republicans on the Hill who have to be brought around as well on this. If there's going to be legislation changing uh, how the U.S. deals with this Iran deal, in particular, um, Bob Corker has a role in this, and Donald Trump has been uh, at Twitter odds with Bob Corker. Is that going to affect at all this important issue? Well, the good news for those of us who, who would like a successful policy, obviously on Iran, a successful Republican hawkish policy on Iran, not the Obama policy, is that Bob Corker, I think, is introducing today legislation with Tom Cotton that would begin to put in place some criteria uh, which Iran would, for, for, for renegotiating the deal in effect with Iran and for sanctions being reimposed. Um, I haven't seen the legislation personally yet. I think it's being dropped in just a couple of hours. Um, so Corker has not walked away from his role here as chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee because of his spat with Donald Trump. On the other hand, I have talked to people who talk to people in the Trump White House and administration. One reason they were so unhappy inside about the fight with Corker, which was really unnecessary, um, is that, you know, he is an important player in this. Apparently, I think he would have been at the White House for the announcement today to show support, chairman of Senate Foreign Relations Committee, someone who's not a particularly hawkish figure. Uh, but after that spat, he chose not to be there. So you do pay a price for picking these fights. And Trump, uh, unfortunately, I think he cares more sometimes about these fights than he does about thinking through it all, his prospects for legislative success. You also pay a price in terms of tax reform and other things. Uh, he just routinely insults Congress, which was great on the campaign trail, and is sometimes appropriate even, and it can be done in a certain deft way. Ronald Reagan did it some. It can work. But, you know, you do need the votes of these members of Congress, and at some point they're going to not bend over backwards to help you. You can intimidate them a little. But some of them are, have six-year terms, the senators. Some of them aren't running for re-election. Some of them are pretty safe. Some of them just aren't easy to intimidate. And there, you, I think Trump is used to getting away with things and looking at them in a very, very short perspe short-term perspective. That's not going to ultimately help him for his longer-range goals. Now, some of these legislative goals don't matter that much, honestly, I think. But some do. And if you're launching the country on a new Iran policy, which is what he did today, you really have an obligation to see it through, to think it through, to act sensibly in in f helping make this work. And whether that means working with the Europeans, it could mean pressuring the Europeans too, working with Congress, pressuring Congress. I'm not saying he should be in any way, he has to in any way soften his views, but he needs to make this work, not just be, well, I gave them a piece of my mind. So the president said that uh, the Iran deal was one of the worst and most one-sided transactions the U.S. has ever entered into. This has been one of his repeated right. phrases. And then he complained that Tehran 
is not living up to the spirit of the deal. It reminds me of the old Groucho Marx joke about, you know, the food at this restaurant is so bad and the portions are so small. If the deal is so terrible, why should we care whether Iran is living up to the terms of a deal that favors them? Right. Well, he he sort of wants to have a kind of legalistic hook also that they're not fully living up to it. That's disputed, I would say, isn't the strongest argument. I agree. It's one of those cases where you're better off making your strongest argument and not making your strongest argument and then two weaker arguments because <laughs> because the critics will focus on the weaker arguments. So does Donald Trump at least get himself out of the agony of having to choose whether to decertify every 90 days? Well, that's unclear. I think some people are talking about amending the legislation, but nothing has changed yet. The legislation is the law of the land and he has to certify. He has not certified this time. But as I understand it, that doesn't stop the process. They'll be in 90 days from now. It's they could come on. back into compliance in theory, right? So yes, it's still the law. So another big action by the president this week was with regard to Obamacare. Obamacare always had this feature. It was meant to provide for premiums through savings of one sort or another. But what wasn't highly advertised was that there was a big backdoor slush fund by which the government was paying money to insurers that they would in then in turn uh, provide policies at a lowered cost to people who couldn't afford the policies otherwise. Um, Donald Trump saying he will no longer make those payments. So this was not part of the original legislation. I think the hope or pretense was they wouldn't need these 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 uh, slush these payments this, this 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 extra money because the 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 the, uh, the uh, exchanges would work fine. You know, so the exchanges didn't work fine. They the insurers were saying we can't actually give people affordable premiums in the way this is set up. Uh, Congress did nothing uh, because Congress was by that time controlled by Republicans and didn't want to help bail out Obamacare, quite understandably. President Obama didn't want to negotiate. President Obama eventually just said, well, I could do this by executive order, in effect, by executive action. Uh, At least one court has found that not to be the case. And um, so I think President Trump is on good ground in saying, I'm stopping this action by the executive branch, which is giving away taxpayer money that may well not be legal. If Congress wants to do it, they can do it. And I guess that's the point I would make, and it's been missing in so much of the discussion about this. If everyone thinks it's so important to, to stabilize the individual insurance markets, and it can't happen without this, let's call it slush fund, and that may be a reasonable position, and it may even be a position that critics of Obamacare would say, look, if we fail to repeal it, you don't want the whole thing to fall apart. There are real people out there depending on these markets, so maybe we should appropriate funds. Well, let Congress act. Uh, but for Democratic congressmen and senators to be you know, showing up and with press releases and stuff, this is an outrage what President Trump has done. Well, they're members of Congress. Let them introduce legislation. They're not in the majority. Let them fight, persuade members of the majority to go along with them. Let them cause a ruckus about it. So I really think one aspect of some of the things President Trump has done is what, one thing that should happen as a result of some of the things President Trump has done is to remind people that Congress has a lot of power. And if Congress wants to act, they can act. And I don't even have – honestly know what I would think about congressional legislation in this area because I'm, I'm, I'm hostile to Obamacare. On the other hand, it is true that if you're not going to replace it, you, you do have some obligation to try to make it work uh, adequately. And so, again, that's something that members of Congress can and should debate. But Trump will get beat up for cutting off you know, health insurance to poor people. But I don't know that – politically, I think he's on pretty good grounds here. It's executive overreach. Not that many people honestly are affected. Um, 
and uh, so much other stuff is going on that who could even keep track of each of these actions of the president. But it would be nice if Congress, instead of criticizing and talking about everything, remembered that they are actually legislators. Could there be here a glimmer of a Trump doctrine for dealing with the legacy of the Obama years, which is if we see um, on immigration and DACA, uh, the president did something very similar, which is to say, we're not going to have this done by executive fiat. But if you, Congress, are interested in it and you want it to persist, you know, do the legislation. It seems to be very much the same thing. Yes, and that would be true in some environmental areas as well. Uh, I think Obama has set that up in certain areas because he, he pushed the limits so far. At some point, there's, they're going to run out of Obama, you know, executive actions to repeal. But no, I think that is a kind of Trump doctrine. And I actually think the notion of telling Congress to act, to decide, um, is is a good one. So now after uh, several topics in which um, uh, Donald Trump has come in for praise. By my standards, yes. By, yeah. right, right. Um, we have a, another set of tweets this, this week where the president was on a shakier ground, in particular saying that because he didn't like the news that he's been getting from NBC, that there ought to be challenges to their broadcast licenses. Yeah, I mean, you really don't want a president of the United States, you don't even want governors or senators or congressmen, honestly, to be saying, obviously, you don't want to do anything to abrogate freedom of the press. Trump doesn't really have the authority or ability to do that, probably. But you don't even really want them to be conveying the impression that the government should act if they don't happen to like certain things that are broadcast. Uh, it, it does erode a sort of a sense of limited government, something that conservatives once believed in, and a sense that government doesn't just, certainly the president by himself doesn't just get to act if he doesn't like something. But you know what? Even if he and the Congress decide together they don't like something in the Weekly Standard, they don't have the right to take a, say, let's abrogate their right to publish. Luckily, we don't have a license of that kind. Uh, luckily, uh, we, we don't have a license? No, oh, no. Yeah, I hate to tell you this. And luckily, the networks, I think, don't really have licenses individual stations do, that maybe people should look at that and maybe they should be more. I mean, the conservative position has always been very skeptical of these kinds of licensing agreements. I guess I was thinking about this in terms of the magazine. It would be as if Trump said, I'm going to tell the post office to reconsider their you know, uh, third-class postal rate or something because I don't like something. You really don't. It's just bad for the country, bad for any kind of understanding of the limits of government and respect for rights and respect for the private sector, not just for the media, incidentally. I would feel the same way if Trump said it about an energy company or an auto company or, or, or anyone else. You know, Just because he doesn't like something really does not mean that the federal government should act against a private actor. Well, this is going to have to be the end of the uh, Crystal Clear podcast for today because I have to go and check on the license status. <laughs> now, I probably shouldn't have said that. I've given Donald Trump ideas, too. He think, you know, Next, we'll have federal marshals outside our door here in Washington saying, you don't have a license? Shut down that magazine. Thanks, Bill, for joining us on the Crystal Clear podcast today. Thanks, Eric. Support for the Crystal Clear podcast comes from The Great Courses Plus. In these historically fascinating times, it's important to know how we got here. One way is by watching The Great Courses Plus. I have unlimited access to their huge library of fascinating video lectures. I get to learn from engaging experts about the topics that interest me most, history, politics, even art and music. With The Great Courses Plus, stream and download videos to any device and watch whenever you want. One of the courses I've been watching is Privacy, Property, and Free Speech, Law and the Constitution. It examines the risks to our constitutional rights posed by technology and social media, 
and offers ideas on how to bring democratic values into the 21st century. One lecture you might particularly enjoy is The Constitution and Private Property. Professor Jeffrey Rosen shows how property has a special status in the Constitution. You'll study how individual property rights apply to the Second Amendment and to everything from the Copyright Clause to the Fourth Amendment. I know you'll get as much as I have out of The Great Courses Plus. Weekly Standard listeners get a full month of unlimited access to watch any of their lectures for free. But you need to sign up through our special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash standard. Start watching today. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash standard. That's it for today's Crystal Clear Podcast. I'm Eric Felton. Catch you next time.